sad reality that last year there were more reported deaths of Black trans and non-binary gender non-conforming people than ever recorded in the history of the data being uh, made public. It's worth noting that last year we also lost Monica Roberts, the trans griot who took it upon herself to record and report the deaths, often the murders of Black trans folks in particular, because there is still to this day an issue with misgendering, dead naming, and otherwise not pursuing the violence that we see in the Black LGBTQ community generally, but in, when we talk about the experiences of our trans siblings more specifically, and everyone should, should have been alarmed at the end of last year. We are entering uh, March. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Transgender and gender non-conforming people face risks that make them particularly vulnerable to homicide. Some experience bias explicitly because of their gender identity. For others, their identity makes them more likely to experience other risk factors, such as unemployment or homelessness. The risks are compounded for trans women of color, especially black women, who face the additional burden of racism. Last year was the deadliest one on record for transgender Americans, with black transgender women accounting for two-thirds of total recorded deaths since 2013, according to the Human Rights Campaign. While President Joe Biden signed an executive action affirming that LGBTQ Americans would be protected against discrimination in education, employment, housing, and other fundamental aspects of life in America, there's still a really long way to go to tackle violence against the trans community. In today's episode, we'll be interviewing David Johns and Beverly Ross. David is the executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition, a civil rights organization dedicated to the empowerment of black lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer plus and same gender loving people, including people living with HIV and AIDS. Beverly Ross is a nationally recognized advocate for human rights, social justice, health equity and LGBTQ plus equality. She's worked for the past six years to improve access to treatment and care for transgender people and people living with HIV. Both David and Beverly will unpack the violence the trans community are experiencing and importantly talk about what we can do to help tackle this issue. It's only March, and in the United States, at least 11 transgender or gender non-conforming people have been murdered in 2021 already. This is a 266% increase from this point last year, when three trans people had been murdered. The Human Rights Campaign, an LGBTQ plus advocacy group, has called violence against transgender people a national epidemic, and requested in a list of policy recommendations released in November that the Biden administration form an interagency working group to address anti-transgender violence. Advocates say that preventing anti-trans violence requires support from across many sectors of society, but it also requires governments 
and law enforcement to better understand the trans community. Here, Beverly shares her experiences with anti-trans violence. Honestly, this has been going on for years. It's been going on before I was even thinking about transitioning into a woman and things that I've heard as a child has been happening. For things that we hear, we know that it's not true. That we, we are, Trans women, we are women that are into different things as far as sex workers. I wouldn't say that plays a big part, but we have to really understand that and being honest that we are dealing with men who are mentally unstable dating or dealing with the trans person. One thing I've learned, and I'm being very transparent, that as of lately, we are policing who we are dealing with. Being um, transphobia is definitely real. We know those things are real. We know all these factors of why men do the things that they do, or people in general do the things that they do towards trans people of color. But we have to understand that we are honestly dealing with men. We're not going to stop dealing with men because this is something that is not, not going to happen, but it's a way how we need to go about protecting ourselves. And, and I feel like that this has been played a part. Imagine being too scared to leave your house or constantly feeling like you need protection to go out in public. It's clear that fatal violence disproportionately affects transgender, racial, and ethnic minority women, especially black transgender women. The intersections of racism, transphobia, sexism, biphobia, and homophobia conspire to deprive individuals of the necessities to live and thrive. So we all have to work together to cultivate acceptance, reject hate, and end the stigma for everyone in the trans and gender non-conforming community. Here David explains the impact that recent events have had on Beverly and the trans community. And I want to be clear that just this year alone, within weeks, she buried two of her friends. It is important for me to underscore that what Bevy named in terms of transphobia, the lack of space for men, generally men who love women, men who love black trans women more specifically, um, to be able to be affirmed in that uh, doesn't really exist. Right. Um, we often have conversations about toxic masculinity. Um, we don't have as many conversations about the lack of actual protections, but Bevy's story illustrated all of this. And so one, right now there are no consistent federal protections that would make it so that the fear and anxiety that Beverly rightfully has that has led her to want to find some form of protection exists. This is in part why we are pushing for the passage of the Equality Act. There's so many people, a third or two thirds of Americans don't, ex don't even acknowledge or appreciate that right now Beverly does not have protections against what might be a hate crime, right? A crime committed against her simply because of who she is and how she shows up in the world. Um, that is a problem very much connected to that. Beverly talked about sex work. She talked about the challenges of finding employment. It was just last June that the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of the United States passed the Bothnick decision which makes it in theory illegal, not in theory in practice, but you gotta go through the process of leveraging courts to not be fired as a result of sexual identity, gender orientation or expression, actual or perceived. That means very little if you still don't feel safe when you walk outside your house, don't have access to public accommodations. Beverly right now could be discriminated against in terms of trying to get a ride share, go on an Uber if the police had impounded her car. Right? Like all of these things are very much connected and what often happens is that Black LGBTQIA folks, trans folks in particular in this context, exist in fear and then don't have access to the 
democratic institutions access to public housing, public transportation, at this point, the ability to carry a gun, right? Like all of these things that people otherwise take for granted are things that are not provided to Black trans folks in particular because of white supremacy and anti-Blackness, again, through things that Beverly named. And so there's this pernicious cycle, all of it's very much connected. Historically, feminism has often focused on advancement of mostly white, mostly non-disabled, mostly financially secure women. But if we leave other women, including trans women behind, this is not equality. Because equality is about valuing difference, all forms of difference. There's an uncomfortable but fundamental truth, which I think David expressed beautifully in an interview with LGBTQ plus magazine, Them. He said, we live in a society that ranks human value according to a hierarchy of bodies and identities, where disposability radiates outward as a person's distance from the hegemonic ideal increases. Trans women experience a particular type of marginalization or trans misogyny because they're both trans and female, ever more so for trans women of color. Here David shares why we need to be radically inclusive to ever achieve equality. I wanna underscore that in this moment, Beverly should be concerned about nothing else other than her well-being. Right? Based on everything that we know, if there's one thing that she should be concerned about, it is her own well-being. And in spite of that, she is still very much committed to showing up to ensure that other members of her community have access to opportunity. And this is worth noting, and I want to underscore that it's not a singular experience, right? The point I'm trying to make is twofold. One is that none of what we're talking about is new. None of this is new. Our ability to talk about it and use platforms like Zoom, I think might increase the way in which people are, are at least paying attention to this now. So I hope Will Smith made a similar point last year around June when talking about the fact that the violence against Black bodies is not new. The frequency with which it's recorded and then shared very much is and it should be lost on no one. Like in this moment, I'm looking at Martha P. Johnson on my desk, right? 51 years ago was a black trans woman who in the middle of the Stonewall Rebellion said, I'm not going to allow police, right? To stand behind state sanctioned violence and just be a passive recipient of it. And she went on to found STAR, an organization that continues to do amazing things for black and Latinx trans folks, not only in New York, but around the country. And that has led to what we now generally refer to as the LGBTQ movement and a lot of the victories therein. The current moment in this movement for radical inclusion, social justice, civil rights, whatever one might call it, I think requires us to do this work of leaning into the intersections, right? Talking about the things that otherwise get hidden. And in particular, the violence against black trans folks is chief amongst that. And it should be lost on no one, as Beverly said, that hate crimes have been increasing five years ago, right? There's data I won't name, he who shall not be named, right? But we saw an increase in hate crimes at the point at which he started to run for office and during his entire administration. And all of that culminated in uh, uh, insurrectionist attempt to stage a coup at our capital um, less than two months ago. And all of this has to do with us needing to acknowledge that we have an opportunity now to have sometimes uncomfortable but important conversations about difference that's not mired in deficit language, about the beautiful diversity that has always existed in every community, but especially in the Black community, 
opportunity to talk about love, the kind of like radical love that allows us to stand in public and claim love for one another when the world tells us that as Black people, we shouldn't love ourselves, let alone, let alone love each other. And all of this goes back to the challenges around white supremacy and anti-Blackness. So this is a really long way of me trying to say that I think it feels like things are worse now because we have tools that heighten visibility that are allowing more people who otherwise don't have access to um, our community to understand what's going on. And it, this has been a problem for far too long. Imagine having to hide your gender identity at work. What a tremendous mental load this must be. And then to have to carry the emotional weight of fearing what your colleagues may say if they find out, because who you are doesn't conform with society's norms. The feeling of being excluded, ostracized, discriminated against is an all too real experience for trans employees. A 2015 survey of around 27,000 trans individuals living in the United States revealed that a staggering 77% of those who held a job in the year prior took active steps to avoid mistreatment at work, like hiding their gender identity, delaying their gender transition, refraining from asking their employers to use their correct pronouns, or even quitting their jobs. 67% reported negative outcomes, like being fired or forced to resign or not being hired or being denied a promotion. Here, Beverly shares why we need companies to take real action rather than simply paying lip service to Pride Month or LGBTQ inclusion efforts. We see all these things when it comes June 1st. We see a lot of things around Pride, right? We see all these companies advocating, and I call it advocating or just saying, oh, we love everybody. But I barely see trans people in these spaces. I barely see people that identify and the spectrum in these places. Now, I see a lot of men who have sex with men. I see a lot of queer folks. But I don't see trans women in these spaces that are managers. I, I see a lot of trans women that's working in community. I see them in, when I say community, I mean like HIV and things around like public health. But I don't see us working at a Nike store being a manager. Or these companies that, are, you know, that's so-called supposed to be for us and have these labels and these social marketing tools and things and these things around pride, I don't see us there. I don't see us in those spaces. So that's what I want them to be accountable of. Training, learning, understanding these things and changing policy and changing systems around these things, what it looks like to be a manager with a background or being a manager with, or having experience for a year then being a you know, being a part of leadership and management and what that looks like, be able to let us come into these different spaces and change some things and create programming around these things. I was on the phone with a girl, my, a girlfriend from Foot Locker, and they promised to give $200 million to Black communities. And for us, I don't see LGBTQ um, organizations involved into those spaces when it comes to planning and distributing money and events, although I get we're in the pandemic, but things have still been going on in this pandemic, but I don't see anything changing. And I don't see no one say, hey, let me help you. Let me be your mentor. Or I want to hire you. I want to see you grow. I want to, I don't see those things, but yet I still see them advertise the LGBTQ and we for love wins and this and that, but still not hiring us. And I am too one of those Black trans women. 
And David also shares his views on what both individuals and organizations can do. Some of this has to do with what we think about gender, what we often then conflate between gender and sexual identity, our gender orientation, and forcing, compelling people, because you can't actually force people to do anything. We have a whole other conversation about the ways in which policy and law show up in that regard. But compelling people to be mindful of these social constructs, to challenge the assumptions that they might be making, and to do so in ways that allow everybody to be free, to, to feel respected, um, to feel like they can fully participate in civic, social, and economic society, it's incredibly difficult and it's important. And so my hope is that through the work of leaders like Bevy uh, and through the collective actions of organizations like NBJC, HRC, NCLR, the task force, and others, we can um, sit in the discomfort together such that we can then expend the energy to solve more seemingly intractable problems in the near future lead with the lens of equity, which is, I think, everything that she described. Companies in particular can uh, publicly state their support for the Equality Act, again, providing clear, consistent federal protections uh, to prevent against a number of things that we've talked about. Companies themselves can do the work of ensuring that their policies and programs follow non-discrimination uh, protections and policies. Bevy mentioned the challenge associated in a lot of retail industries. We've done a lot of work with Sephora who's done a lot of work in the retail space, um, in particular to understand how bias works, both conscious and unconscious bias, and then to develop processes to support employees in shifting their thinking and then how they show up on the job. And in particular, uh, hiring Black trans folks and then prioritizing workforce supports for them to be able to have uh, good jobs and for us that means family sustaining wages and opportunities for advancement such that they then are put in positions of power to be able to inform policy and practice. Thank you all for tuning in to today's episode. Hearing the challenges that Beverly faces every day just trying to stay safe is something that every woman will understand. This week in the United Kingdom, hundreds of women have now shared their fears about walking home alone after the appalling news that a police officer has been charged with the kidnap and murder of Sarah Everard. Sarah Everard was walking home. We should all be able to walk home without being murdered, attacked, raped, sexually harassed, and without fear of these things happening. Fixing, hiding and changing women won't remove the fear or fix the problem. Women cannot solve inequality they did not create. To make a safer world for all women, we need everyone to take action every day to value, support and understand the challenges that women face. We need to advocate and support policies that protect all women. And above all, we need to treat this like the shared problem that it is. Equality is the freedom to be yourself and be valued for that. But getting there will take all of us. Before you go, just a quick reminder to check out the 100 Actions for Equality campaign, which provides you with 100 actions to take every day to create a more equal working world. Just visit 100actionsforequality.com. Thank you for tuning into our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our weekly newsletter 
and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.